All right, Brian, your turn. Where does this story start? Well, we've talked about the way dynamite was used to construct a massive monument in Mount Rushmore. But 50 years before they started blasting presidents' faces into rock, dynamite was being used to construct something very different. It seemed to be the great equalizer between the people and formal military forces. This is historian Tim Messer-Cruz. He's researched how anarchists used dynamite to intimidate the government in the late 1800s and to create a social movement. One of the problems that dynamite addressed was the problem that had become evident by the 1870s, that the power of governments was far and away excessive to that of the power of the people. Even a united working class, even a revolutionary uh, action that was set in motion could easily be defeated by the organized forces of the government. And then comes along dynamite. Tim says dynamite not only helped level the playing field between radicals and the government, it also allowed individuals to send a bold and sometimes bloody message to the powers that be. It seemed to be something that an average person could employ. They required no special training. They could carry it safely on their person. They could conceal it easily. And they could use it to defeat entire regiments of uh, police or the military. So it sounds like these anarchists were really into dynamite because it was a do-it-yourself kind of weapon that could deliver a powerful punch. But who were these people? I mean, when I think of anarchists, I imagine somebody who wants to undermine all of government and society. Is that the kind of person who's carrying around this dynamite? Well, not exactly. Tim says there's a modern misunderstanding of who an anarchist was and what they were after during this time period. We tend to think of an anarchist as sort of an anti-everything, certainly anti-state, anti-religion. Um, it's hard to conceive of a group of uh, anti-everything people becoming organized. But in the 19th century, people who were described as anarchists described themselves as revolutionary socialists. They earned the moniker anarchist uh, years or decades later. So what might drive them to threaten the use of dynamite and, in some cases, use it? Well, they were fighting against uh, a whole host of things. They would wrap all of their grievances up into the, the general category of capitalist exploitation. I mean, some of it was uh, some of the undemocratic nature of governments around the world. Some of it was the complete uh, and total control of growing corporations over the individual lives of workers, but also their communities. So they were fighting against all of these things that would manifest themselves as common people's feelings of lack of power and, and a lack of a future. As tension bubbled between the working class and those in power, there was one guy who quickly created a spark, pun intended, within anarchist circles of the labor movement. His name was Louis Ling. He was clearly a, a very bold person of action, and he was someone, I think, who just was a natural leader. Ling was born in Germany into an extremely poor family. And when he was just five years old, he was sent off to be a carpenter's apprentice. That was just so they could be one less mouth to feed. And he completed his apprenticeship, and then he set off on his own, as was the custom among tradesmen in the 19th century. He wandered from place to place, picking up odd jobs around Europe. He finally found his way to Switzerland, where he met his first group of socialists and eventually 
He moved from group to group, each group being progressively more radical than the previous group. Ling came to the U.S. in the summer of 1885, when he was in his early 20s. First, he went to New York, but he soon hopped over to the city that was the capital for the labor movement in the United States, Chicago. This is the amazing thing. He arrives in Chicago in late July of 1885. He was uh, 22 years old at the time. And by the winter of that same year, he has been elected to the highest office in the Carpenters Union in Chicago. Wow, it sounds like he really rose up the ranks quickly. So does Ling start handing out sticks of dynamite to anarchists in Chicago? (laughs) Well, he wasn't bringing bombs to meetings as party favors, but a stash of explosives did get him into some serious trouble. A few months after Ling started working with the Carpenters Union, buzz grew around the city about a big labor demonstration. The Haymarket meeting, uh, as it was organized, was part protest, and it was intended to be part provocation. It was, it was quite consciously intended to try and provoke the police into taking some kind of an unwise action so as to justify even greater levels of, of violence and street fighting. And did that happen? It absolutely did happen. On May 4th, 1886, a crowd of people gathered in Haymarket Square in Chicago. They were there to protest the dismal labor conditions in the city. Things were tense because just a few days earlier, police had shot and killed a couple of workers at another rally. So everybody was on edge when the police showed up at Haymarket. It was raining and uh, windy and blustery. A few thousand people were milling around listening to the speeches when uh, the police unwisely led their regiments out of the nearby police station, marched down shoulder to shoulder, gutter to gutter through the streets, clearing the street ahead of them as they moved on the speaker's wagon. The police ordered them to disperse under the Riot Act of Illinois. Someone threw a bomb from a nearby alleyway. The concussion pretty much stunned everybody, but all observers say there was a a moment of eerie silence after the explosion. Thereupon, gunfire erupted. It's pretty much certain that this was gunplay in both directions. At least four of the anarchist participants in the, in the protest were shot and killed, and uh, most likely dozens of others were, were wounded. So where was Louis Ling during all of this? Well, he actually wasn't in Haymarket Square, but that didn't mean he was off the hook. So Louis Ling was connected to the plot to uh, hold this meeting and to have a a violent protest against police because police were tipped off and uh, they discovered in his apartment a number of unexploded bombs and bomb-making equipment and uh, shells that hadn't been filled and bomb-making tools. Yeah, an apartment full of bombs is not a great look for Ling's defense. Nope. And sure enough, Ling and seven others were charged with murder in the first degree. In Illinois, you can be charged with murder and found guilty of murder if you're not responsible directly for the murder, if you're responsible for the plan that sets in motion the murder. And even though he was charged with a very serious crime, Tim says Ling never took the stand to testify in his defense. Probably the most sound thing the defense did was not put him on the stand. He was the most defiant and unrepentant of all of the men who were on trial for that crime. He never denied making bombs that day. 
In fact, his lawyers tried to make part of his defense the idea that he had the right to make bombs, just not to use them. I think that was probably a flawed defense argument. He had the right to make bombs, just not to use them. (laughs) Yeah, sounds fishy to me. And the court didn't buy it either. Ling was found guilty and sentenced to be hanged. But before he went to jail to await his fate, he issued a statement to the court. His statement came very, very close to something of a confession. He said, anarchy is called disorder. Anarchy is in opposition against the order of things which does not allow a man to live a life that is worth living. I declare here, once more openly, with all my powers, with all my mind, I must combat such disorder. Even if this praiseworthy object should be defeated with cannon, I shall use dynamite. You smile. You perhaps think I will not use bombs anymore, but I tell you, I die gladly upon the gallows in the sure hope that hundreds and thousands of people to whom I have spoken will now recognize and make use of dynamite. In this hope, I despise you, and I despise your laws. Hang me for it. Well, it certainly sounds like Ling stuck to his guns to the very end. So was he hanged? That was the plan. But even though Ling was sent to jail, he wasn't quite done with dynamite. He was all set to be executed. And apparently, a friend uh, smuggled some small dynamite charges into his jail cell. The police actually discovered four small dynamite charges that were hidden in his jail cell and confiscated them. Apparently, they didn't find the fifth, however. And Ling simply reclined on his bed, gripped the dynamite charge in his lips, and and lit the fuse. And it didn't lead to the instantaneous death that he expected. He, He lingered in agony through most of the night. That sounds like a terrible way to go. Why would he do that? Tim says that Ling would have rather died by his own hand in a blaze of glory than to be executed by the state. But after his agonizing death, the memory of Ling started to fade within the labor movement. His memory was in many ways suppressed. He was an unrepentant, and he was a vocal advocate of individual acts of violence against the state. And this idea, although it was popular in radical circles leading up to the Haymarket riot, the denial that that was ever actually meant seriously became an important part of the Haymarket martyr's defense, which was largely based upon the idea that, well, they might have said some things such as bombs are good and you should throw bombs, but they really just meant that to scare the capitalists. They weren't really serious about that. And especially after that bomb went off, it was... Not so good for business to be talking that way. Absolutely not. So Ling's legacy gets suppressed. He is the one who, in many ways, uh, can't be remembered. Because if he's remembered, then that sort of tells the lie of the idea that all the Haymarket defendants were simply pacifists and Democrats and liberals. Even though Ling faded into the margins of history, Tim says dynamite remains a potent symbol for upending the status quo by either literally or metaphorically blowing things up. That symbolism was both extremely strong in the 1880s, and I I think it still lingers today because of its durability. I'm always amused by a few episodes in the 1880s that illustrate 
people's faith in this object. In New York City, there was a figure, he called himself Professor Mezeroff, and he gave speeches and he advocated that everybody carry a dynamite bomb in their pocket. And to illustrate that, he went around the streets of New York and rode on the streetcars, always armed with a dynamite bomb in his pocket. Also about the same time, we get the first publishing industry around dynamite. A radical revolutionary by the name of Johann Most in New York published a book called Revolutionary War Science. It was reprinted a number of times. And interestingly, it serves as the kernel to a 1970s publication known as the Anarchist Cookbook, which is still in circulation and still reprinted quite often. These sort of things, I think, indicate that, that the symbolism of dynamite serves a purpose apart from dynamite itself. It, it, is a, it is a symbol of the ability of people who are organized and committed to make social change. And I think that that symbolism will not go away because that, that idea will not go away. Well, let's see, how's that for a different use of dynamite from the story you just told? That was a, that's a pretty emotionally heavy story. And I think it really illustrates how the same technology can be used for completely different purposes. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure at the Smithsonian you come across this all the time. And, and you know, we find so often in history uh, that the same tool, the same idea is just repurposed by people completely differently. Right. Um, you know, we don't often work with other podcasts, and I just want to tell you how much I've enjoyed working with Side Door, Lizzie. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. This was a lot of fun for us, too. Um, we have joined forces like nitroglycerin and diatomaceous earth <laughs> to create an explosive yet stable episode. 